Good morning. I want to welcome you. I'm glad that you're here at New Hope. Uh, just, so, just so you know, uh, especially those of you that I'm talking to online as well, uh, we set up these chairs uh, so that we could get as many people in here safely as we can, six feet apart. And as you can tell, we put the chairs in groupings. Sometimes you come in with a family that's more than is in that grouping. You have the freedom to move chairs around. You know, you, you go into somebody's ha- somebody else's house, you don't move the furniture around. But this is your house. You can put the chairs wherever you want. You can move them around. So well, if you're going to do that, we just ask that you keep them in order when you leave because there's another group of people coming in uh, right after that. So you have the freedom to move, move the seats around. Just want you to be aware of knowing that. Um, we are, we're in Christmas season, as you know. If you've been out to the store, you know. Um, and we are looking at some aspects of the Christmas story that I think will help us uh, in the times that we're dealing with. And so today the title of the message is, How Can I Trust God in a Chaotic World? The world is chaotic. Have you noticed that? that that's okay. You can say amen in this church. The world's in chaos right now. I think... 2020 has been the most chaotic year most of us have seen in our lifetimes. I mean, one negative thing after another seems to be thrown at us. How can I trust God in the middle of that? Is, is God even paying attention? Does God care what's going on in this world about us, around us? I think he does. Here's the part of the Christmas story I want us to see. I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive And they were both very old. They were childless. She was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Would you agree that's a hopeless situation? So in the middle of a hopeless situation, two things I want us to see. Number one, Herod was the king. Herod was a brutal dictator. I mean, he didn't didn't just lie as the head of state. He executed people however he wanted to. I mean, he's a brutal leader. And then you've got the head of the priests, Zechariah, who's been married for a long time, has no children. If you understand, the priesthood, you had to be in the, in the descendancy of Aaron. Had to be, or you couldn't serve in the priesthood. You could serve in other capacities, but to be a priest, it, you were born into it. But he's got no descendants, which means it stops right here doesn't go on any further. It's a picture of Israel in the world. Israel, the people of God, dominated by an ungodly, brutal dictator, and the priest that they have to represent them before God doesn't model God's blessings. It's like God has shut off his blessings in the land. And maybe you have felt in this past year that God has shut off his blessings. Once there were blessings... Oh, if we could only go back to the 1950s. What a wonderful time. Now, we've lost that. 
Listen, we live in the most exciting times that I have ever seen in my lifetime. This is exciting. The harvest is ready. Amen. The harvest is ready. There are hurting people all around us. This is the time for Jesus to rise and shine. Who's going to let that happen? It's got to be us. We are the people of God. So the angel shows up, speaks to Zechariah, tells him that even in his old age, he's going to be a father. Your wife right now is expecting a baby in her old age. And so after hearing that good news... Zechariah responds just like you would. Down in verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. How can I be sure? How can I be sure? That's my question. God, we live in a dark world that looks like, it looks like the world makes its own decisions. It looks like you don't answer prayer. It looks like everything's disintegrating and, and dissolving all around us. And all the hopes that we had for a Christian country seem to be just falling apart. How can we have confidence in God in times like this? I'm going to give you some reasons, seven of them, which means I've got to move fairly quick because I've only got 25 minutes left. Here's, uh, let me get my notes out so I can stay on track. Come on, hurry up. Okay, number one, expect God to confirm his word. Confirmation, you understand what confirmation is? That isn't a class you go through that says now you're, now you're a Christian confirmation is something I believe something's going to happen but I need some kind of a sign I need some, something to, to remind me, to let me know yes indeed God's going to keep his promises I need some kind of a confirmation in uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 37 it says for no word from God will ever fail in the NIV the King James Version says nothing is impossible with God the angel is saying, I just brought you a message from God, and you're asking, how can you know for sure? Believe in the word of God. But he does give confirmations. In Mark chapter 16, verse 20, it says, And they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Wherever they went, there were signs. The problem is... The confirmation that he gives us is usually very subtle. And if you're sleeping through it, you won't even recognize God just confirmed something that he's doing in you. He just confirms it. If you don't, so if you have a problem, if you have something that keeps you awake at night, if you have something stirring, make it a prayer. Turn it into a prayer. And as you're praying that repeatedly, day after day, it refocuses your mind on that. And as long as you keep your mind focused on God, when the confirmation comes, you'll see it. Oh. So this old lady, Elizabeth, in her old age is going to have a baby? That's a miracle birth. Confirmation of what's going to happen with Jesus, with her niece Mary in just a little bit. Amazing. Confirmations. 
Most confirmations are very subtle. Focus on what you want to see from God, and you won't miss the confirmation when it comes. Here's number two, the second thing. This is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 79. This is the purpose of the Messiah's coming, to shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is, this is the reason for Christmas in the first place, to shine on those who sit in darkness. Who could he be referring to? Who sits in darkness? Those on the naughty list sit in darkness. Those that are in trouble with God. Sinners. He's going to shine on sinners. See, this is a whole new concept. In the Old Testament, God shined on the good people, on the righteous, not on the unrighteous. But in the New Covenant, Jesus is going to shine the light of God, the light of righteousness, the light of insight into our lives. Us who are sinners. Us who are not righteous, he's going to make righteous. Those who are lost, he's going to help us to be found. Those who are in darkness are going to be in the light. A couple decades ago, a long time ago, I was a new Christian, and Jimmy Carter had been elected president of the United States. Now, I didn't like Jimmy Carter. I didn't vote for Jimmy Carter, but he was president. And... All the Christians, of course, leaned toward the Republican side, so they were against him. And he, sub he agreed to an interview for Playboy magazine. And the church went wild. Everybody was upset. That shows he's demon-possessed. That shows what a wicked guy he was. Well, I don't just believe what I'm told. I want the evidence so I went out and bought a Playboy magazine. And I brought it home, and Anita knew I had it. And I read that article. Jimmy Carter quoted that scripture from Matthew where Jesus said, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, he who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is talking about the heart more than the action. And then he went on to talk about how Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins so he could liberate us so that we didn't have to live under these addictions, under these bondages that wrecks our families. And he, they printed it in Playboy magazine. And I thought, who's reading this? It's people who sit in darkness. It's people who are in bondage. And the president was bold enough to present the gospel to people. And the church crucified him for it. Because the church had the concept that it's our job to cleanse ourselves and look holy instead of presenting the good news to those in darkness. That got my, my respect for that man, and I still respect him to this day. Probably wouldn't vote for him if he ran again, but I have great respect for a man of God. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but, I will, but, but will have the light of life. So the second point is, he shines on those living in darkness. That's good news, church. 
because there's still a few of us living in darkness. Haven't quite been completely delivered yet. The lights, it's like dawn in the morning. You can tell the light's coming. You can tell the sun's coming, but it hasn't risen yet. Jesus is going to rise in your life because I'm praying for you. Here's number three, the third thing. We read this in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So the third way we can trust God in a chaotic world is remember that Jesus comes even when there's no room for him. He come into my life when I didn't have any room for him. My, my heart wasn't open to him. I wasn't looking for Jesus, but he came into my life. I got a feeling that may be some of your story as well. You weren't even looking for him, but he showed up, stepped into your life, turned things upside down, and changed you. He comes even when there's no room for him. Remember, after, his, after he died, the disciples gathered together in the upper room, fearing for their lives because Jesus had just been crucified. They had all the windows closed. They had the doors bolted. And guess what? Jesus showed up. Even when there's no room for him, he shows up. That room had to be pretty crowded with people, but he shows up. No matter how crowded your life seems to be, there's always room for Jesus. They may say you can't take Jesus into the classrooms, but let me say to every student here, there's always room for Jesus in your classroom. You don't have to get up and preach like Billy Graham to be able to talk with God and have a conversation with God and have a conversation with your classmates. That is not against the law. You can do that. The teacher just can't preach. So let's take advantage of the freedoms that we still have. Most of the Bible stories you'll recall in the Bible where a great miracle happened, the miracle was, a great, was against great odds. That's what makes it a miracle. This can't be, but with God, all things are possible. No word spoken from God is going to fail. That's what the word says. Let's go to number four. Here's the fourth thing. In Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace upon those upon his, wherever his favor rests. That's me. I want his favor to rest in me, so I need that peace. There is a big thing happening in the world right now. A big thing. A major thing. And every Christian, it ought to get our attention because it fits right into prophecy. Really, three things. Three parts of that big thing. Number one, there's a great communication change going on right now in this world. It's a greater communication change than when they invented the radio and television. It's called the Internet. And everybody communicates with everybody all over the world. Into Iran. Into China. All over the world, everybody wants into this, this 
uh, World Wide Web. There's a hunger for knowledge, for insight. And governments can't keep it from people. And so people in Iran and China can find out anything they want. All they have to do is Google it. May not be the truth, but they can find out anything they want. All they have to do is search it. So if Christians are wise, we can use our access to the Internet to God's glory. We can find ways to squeeze the truth in. I'm on Facebook every day. Probably shouldn't be. It's got me in trouble a couple times. But I'm not on Facebook so I can tell everybody what I think. I'm looking at what other people think. I'm looking for a way, an, an open door. I'm looking for the Holy Spirit to say, there you go, where I can say something positive. One of my Facebook friends put something up that was very uh, sad from them. They said, I wish I had better friends. I thought, there's no better friend than Jesus. I can't just let, I can't scroll past that. I've got to put something in there. And so I did. I responded. I'm looking for opportunities. There's a great communication change happening in the world. And here's the second part of that. There's a great moral collapse happening at the same time. Anything that God can use for good, the enemy can use it for evil. And there's a great moral collapse all over the world. You see, it used to be religion that held people accountable. It was the shame of knowing I've been caught doing a sin that kept people from doing it. Whether it was Christianity or Islam or any of the other religions that promised to make you a better person, the, the, the awareness of being shamed by my peers kept people from doing the or kept people doing the right thing. If you lift Christianity, if you lift Islam, if you lift these other religions from people, then everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And our hearts are evil, so we know where that's going to go. We're seeing that in the world all around us. The wages of sin is death. When people live in sin, the result is death in their life, death of a marriage, death of their finances, death of their hopes, death of their dreams, death of their health. We need to do this God's way. We need to see, make opportunity for God to work in our lives, for his favor to be there in our lives. And here's the third part of this big change happening in the world. There is also a great rebellion against religion. I just commented on that. Islam was a radical, a radical religion that demanded that people follow it a certain way, but it did hold certain moral values with people. And because of the ISIS situation, now even Islam is questioning what they believe, questioning their morals, which is probably a good thing. I can see the hand of God in this. I can see what the Lord wants to do. So we got a great communication change happening, a great moral collapse happening, and a great rebellion against religion. The Bible calls that rebellion the falling away. It calls it the great apostasy. We're seeing it. We're seeing this, the hints, the signs of the times that Jesus is just about to come back again. And I'm excited. And I want to be a part of it. And I don't want it to happen around me. I want it to happen with me. I want to, be a I want to have both feet in the game. Yeah. 
I don't want to be sitting on the bench saying, I believe, I believe. I want to be out there dribbling the ball down the field, down the floor. Okay. So there's a great company of angels watching us, some great things happening. Here's the fifth thing. I got it. I'm doing okay. Number five. We've got to search him out. We've got to search for him. In, uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 15, it says, When the angels had left him and gone into heaven, the, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. When the Lord reveals something to you, when the Lord tells you about it, and sometimes the Lord speaks to you through one of your friends, when you get insight, when you get the word that, that God's doing something big, you need to go check it out yourself. Don't just believe it for somebody else. You've got to believe it for yourself. You've got to go and see this thing. Luke chapter 2, verse 46 says, Joseph and Mary's, talking about Joseph and Mary's search for, for young Jesus, it says, after three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking him questions. Where are you going to find Jesus? In the temple courts, listening and asking questions. That's where you're going to find young Jesus. Where are you going to find Jesus? You're going to find him in the Lord's house. That's where you're going to find him, where everybody's talking about it. Finding Jesus is a major part of our faith. We had a, uh, a problem searching for Jesus some years ago. We had a nativity set made out of olive wood, made in Israel. Anita and I went on a tour of Israel many years ago, back in the 80s, and one of the things we brought back was a souvenir uh, uh, nativity set. And every Christmas, we get it out. We set it out in our living room. It's different parts. You know, you, you probably have one like that. It's different parts. And one time, after Christmas was over, we boxed everything up. And wouldn't you know it, the manger was there, but baby Jesus was missing. Where's baby Jesus? Couldn't find him anyplace. Well, once you pack it away, you know you can't find where you packed it till next year when you get everything out again. But baby Jesus was missing. We hunted every place. Couldn't find it, so we packed everything up. Sometime after that, I was going to watch a movie, and it was a VHS tape back a long time ago. We got the VHS tape out, and I put it in the player, and it went in and come right back out. I put it in again, come out. Tried that three or four times, and I thought, what is in there? And I reached into the VCR player, and there was baby Jesus. <laughs> Thanks to my grandson. <laughs> Tried to play baby, baby Jesus in the VCR player. There's a parable that goes along with this. The parable is there was a man walking through a field, and he found a treasure. And the treasure meant so much to him that he went out and sold everything he had so he had enough money to buy the field because he knew the treasure that was in the field. It's a word picture of our walk with Jesus Christ. Once you discover the treasure that's there, then you liquidate everything else that you were trusting in and you invest everything in the field because that's where the hope is. That's where the treasure is. That's a, that's, the kingdom of heaven is like that. This is what the kingdom of God's like. So we're on this search party to find Jesus. Here's the sixth way to trust God in a chaotic world. Treasure 
and ponder what you've already seen in your heart. Luke chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 says, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. God reveals himself to you a little bit at a time. Some of us in this room, not many, but some of us in this room have been treasuring and pondering things we've seen for 70 years. Some of us 60, some of us 50. How old were you when you accepted Christ as your Savior and you began the search and God began investing in your life? Over a lifetime, God gives us, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, and God gives us one piece at a time as we go through our life. And we put the pieces together, and as we put the pieces together, it becomes clearer and clearer where the next piece goes. The whole picture gets a little clearer. When you first dump all those pieces out, you haven't got a clue where to start. But as you put the pieces together that the Lord puts in your life, it becomes clearer and clearer. Those of us that have been walking with the Lord for a long, long time have collected a lot of pieces of the puzzle. We've been able to see things a little more clearer than we did way back then. But we have enough of the pieces of the puzzle. We now have a responsibility to invest those things in the young generation or older people who are just now starting their journey, helping them put the pieces in the right place. That's teaching discipling, investing in people, praying for people, helping people along, being a life coach in people's lives. So we're supposed to treasure what we've seen, and we're supposed to ponder. What does ponder mean? Think about it. Meditate on it. I've been doing a lot of that lately because I'm older, and I'm at the point in my life where I don't know especially with COVID, how much longer I might have, how much longer the Lord might be wanting to work through me. So I'm kind of, I'm looking back over my life. I'm looking back over what I've seen God do and how I've seen God work in, in, in my life. I'm looking over this, and it is amazing the people God has allowed me to relate to and invest in. And there are other churches out there being pastored by people that I had the privilege of investing in. That's an extension of myself. That's fulfilling. That's fulfilling. You see, the pieces are beginning to come together. I'm beginning to see the fulfillment of the plan of God. Let's go on to number seven. Here's the last one. I've got to wrap this up. Remember this. When you're doubting God, it's not over yet. It's not over yet, church. Don't think this is it. Your life's a mess. Things are broken down. Things aren't fixed. Don't think it's over yet because it's not over yet. There's a fat lady that comes out and sings a song at the end. It ain't over yet till the fat lady comes out and sings. Luke chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Simeon took the baby in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Your story is still being written. You, personally, your story is still being written. It's not over yet. 
Don't be negative. Don't be discouraged. Don't be disheartened. It's not over yet. Your story is still being written. Remember those old sitcoms they had back in the 50s and 60s where you would watch this whole show and then they would go to a commercial and then they would come back for about a one or two minute ending and there was a happy ending at the end of the show? I kind of miss shows that have those happy ending moments at the end. Because your life and my life is a story and there's a happy ending at the end of it. If you keep your eyes on the whole picture, it may not be a happy moment, Keep your eyes on the whole picture. Job lost everything he had. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost his family. His wife says, hey, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? She's a real encourager. <laughs> but you see, that's not the end of Job's story. His story wasn't over yet. The apostle John called to preach the word, had a powerful anointing on him to preach the word to people. But he was arrested. He was banished to the island of Patmos where he would be silent and have nobody to talk to. But his story wasn't over yet. There's more to the story. Jesus, arrested by the Romans, taken to a cross, brutally whipped and punished, nailed, physical nails through his arms and his legs hands and feet no way for him to get out of there hopeless situation when he finally died they took him down they put him in a grave they sealed the grave and posted a guard looks pretty negative doesn't it looks pretty bleak but his story isn't over yet there's more to the story and I want to tell you your story is not over yet I want to speak to the people who are at home you may feel isolated. You may feel like you're so disconnected from the church. But listen, your story is not over yet. There's more to the story. Jesus is coming back. And he is not finished working in our lives. Do you believe that? So what do I do? In a chaotic world, I trust God. That's what I do. Yeah, but the guy who I know God appointed to be the president of the United States isn't going to be the president. What do you do? You trust God. Where in the Bible did God promise us an easy road? It's a hard road. And there's many obstacles in the road. There's much opposition. But your story isn't finished yet. There's more to the story, church. You believe that? Let's stand together. We got one more song we're going to sing, kind of wrap this up.